Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Thank you for always being with us. Do a work in us now, in your name. Amen. So if you have your uh, Bibles or devices, you can turn to Genesis 1. As we enter in today, I just want to prepare us though for that because I I get into Genesis 1 and I get into the creation story and here's what I do. I I put on my science lenses and and I look at the creation story and and I try to imagine what's physically happening and and I try to line that up with the story that our culture tells us, right? Because our, our culture tells us a story about how all this happened. Evolution, right? And, and, and there, that's uh, what some scientists and some experts point to. That This is how our world came to be. And this is how things got the way they are. And they explore that. And when you take it to its end uh, line of thinking, when you take evolution all the way to its end line of thinking, uh, a lot of people use that to say, oh, well, there is no God. All, all of what came to be came to be by chance and came to be by evolution and came to be by a process and there is no God. And... Uh, and perhaps if there is a God, maybe he was the first cause. Maybe he started everything off with a bang, but then he just kind of let these processes run and he left, left the world and stepped back out of it. And, and when I say we don't want to put our science lenses on today, what I don't want you hear, to hear is that the, the Bible doesn't have to, anything to say about evolution because it does. It, it speaks directly to those and many other things. Genesis and many other scriptures speak to those things. So Hebrews, Hebrews 11 tells us that By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So so we understand right there that, no, actually there is a God, and he actually made the universe out of nothing. It's right there in Scripture, and and he didn't leave after he started this. If if there were processes involved that he put in place, he didn't leave then, because Colossians 1 tells us all things have been created by him and through him and for him. He's before all things, and get this, in him all things hold together. So so he didn't set this world in, in motion and step back. He's actually involved right here, right now, and he's holding it all together. So, so the Bible and Genesis 1 speak to evolution. It's just, we're not going to touch on that a whole lot today because it, it actually speaks to some other stories as well. Some other stories that I think might be more significant to us. They, they were significant to the Israelites back then, actually, because, you know, Moses, when he wrote it, and the Holy Spirit through Moses wrote this, Darwin hadn't come around yet, right? They, they didn't have a story of evolution floating around in their culture. They did have other stories, though. They had other stories just like we do of how the world came to be. And so there were, there were Canaanites and Egyptians and Mesopotamians all around their culture that had all these stories of how creation came to be. And they have these alternative stories. And, and these were the stories that as Israel looked at their world, these were the stories that were competing for their minds and hearts. That were calling them away from Yahweh, away from the one true God creator of the universe. And so the Holy Spirit through Moses speaks Genesis 1 and the creation story through Genesis 1 to say, oh no, let me tell you the real story. 
because you're hearing all these things and your hearts are being drawn away. Let me tell you how this happened. And, and, and not so much how this happened. That's not what a lot of the creation stories were so focused on. They were focused on who did it. Who did it? Because all these stories talked about gods and goddesses that might have created the world. And, and, and Moses, through the Holy Spirit, comes and says, no, this is what our God's like. This is who created the world. And this is what we can see in it. And, and as, So we're going to touch on some of these stories today, but as we do, here's the thing. We're going to hear stories that, that compete for our hearts and minds and, and compete for our attention and compete for our worship. And, and the hope in, in, in this is that we would rediscover the true story of who our God is and that it would impact us again so that we might hear the right story. So Genesis chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 1 again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now that's a little odd to us. We hear this, we imagine this watery ball, and so did God kind of half make things and then let them be for a while and then stepped in again, and what's going on here? And so it seems odd to us, but, but ancient Israel listening to this, it doesn't seem odd to them because every other creation story they heard, you know what, how it started? It started in chaos, and it started in water, usually a watery chaos, and the gods come up out of the watery chaos, and then they create the world in some way. We'll talk about that. But, but this is how all the other creation stories started because this is what was, everybody was talking about because these were the threats to their lives. These were the threats in every one of their lives. Cultures in those times, were, they, were, they lived around water, right? They lived around rivers and seas. And, and so what was a threat to them all the time was those rivers flooding and those storms on those seas and the darkness around them. And these were the threats and the dangers on their mind. And so they imagine, well, if the world came to be and it has some semblance of order, that's where it came from is that chaos. And that's what's always threatened, threatening us. And, and so Genesis right here starts with the same problems that all those other creation stories start with. It starts with three problems. It's formless. The earth is formless. And it's, it, it doesn't have an order to it. It doesn't have a structure to it. And it's empty. There's no fullness to it. It's a wilderness. There's no life in it. it can't sustain life. It's empty. And, and it's dark. There's unknown there. That's scary. And, and couldn't we describe our lives the same way sometimes? Couldn't we describe what threatens us to have the same effect on us, that, it, that our lives feel formless, feel like there's no structure to it, no plot? We talked about this last week a little bit, that, there, that dis disappointments come in our lives. We have a plan. We think our know where, we know where our lives are going, and then disappointments come, and tragedy strikes, and detours happen, and, and our plans don't work out the way we think we, they will. And, and we feel a little lost because we feel like there should be a plot. There should be a through line to our story, and we don't see it. There, there, there's no plot. It feels formless, and then it feels empty because it feels like you're just going through the motions, and nothing's, nothing's working. You put in all this work, and you... you you work in all these areas of your lives. You ever feel like this? You, you work in every area of your life and you feel like you're doing the right things and there's no payoff? There's no fruit? Nothing, nothing happens the way you think it should? Nothing plays out the way you think it should? I'm doing the work. What's the problem? Because if I do the work, there should be fruit and it, you just feel empty. And then there's, there's dark. Because if it's formless and empty, then what's coming around the corner? What's the ne next page of the story? I don't know. What, what's on the next page of the story? And, and we get afraid about these things in our lives. And here's the lie we start to believe 
we start to believe this lie that what we're afraid of is bigger than the one who's in control. And this is the story that starts competing for our heart and competing for our mind. And we focus on these things that we're afraid of, this formlessness in our life, this emptiness, this darkness, and those become bigger than the one who's in control. And and that's actually what was going on for those other cultures that were telling creation stories. Because they were afraid of that formlessness and that darkness and that emptiness. And, And they told these stories about how these gods would emerge out of these waters. A whole pantheon of gods, and inevitably they ended up at war with each other. And you know how creation happened, how our world came to be? Because during this war, the one god was victorious over another god, killed that god, and used its body to create the heavens and the earth. And, and our world is, was born out of battle and blood and chaos and threat. And that's why life feels like it does, because it's all battle and blood and chaos and threat. What you're scared of, it's real. And it's big. And so right now there's this God in control, maybe, sort of, that is letting the world be what it is. But anytime, any way, you never know when other gods of chaos will come and battle with that God. And, and, and these stories that they told were stories of battle, and that's how our world came to be. And, and, and Moses comes along and says, no, there's a different story. <laughs> there's a different story. Listen to this. Then God said, he, he spoke right into the formlessness and the emptiness and the darkness. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And then God said, let there be firmament in the midst of the waters. Let the divide waters from waters. So he's creating the sky. And we'll skip down a few verses. And it was so. And and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was morning Evening, and there was morning the third day. And do you see the difference in this story? Creation didn't happen out of battle and blood and chaos. There's no war going on. There's just God, only God. And, and he's bigger than everything you fear. He didn't come up out of the chaos. He didn't come up out of there. He, he was over, the spirit of God hovered over the waters the whole time. He, he's bigger than anything that could possibly threaten your life. And so as he creates the earth, it's not out of a battle with a rival, but it's as a king on the throne. And what, how does he create? He just speaks. He just speaks, and it happens. That's how simple it is. No fight. He just speaks. Let this be, and it was. Like a king on the throne, let this happen, and it does. And there's no force, and there's no rival that you wonder who might win. It's just God in control of everything. And he's actually so in control that what you're afraid of, the chaos and that those waters and the darkness, he can push it back and he puts boundaries on it and he says, this is how far you can come right now and no further and it can't cross. And and so do you see that God does the same thing? He's still doing the same thing for the emptiness and the chaos and the darkness in our lives. He says, this is how far it can come and no further. 
He's in control of all of it, and he sets a boundary on it. And the, the, the truth is that God is sovereign and powerful over everything in our world and our lives. Anything that would threaten you, anything that would come against you, God is powerful over it all. You see, we, we hear this verse. You hear, you hear this verse sometimes, no weapon formed against us shall stand, right? No weapon formed against us shall stand. It's an encouraging verse. But you know what I haven't heard a lot is why no weapon formed against us shall stand. Well, it's because God's powerful, right? Yeah, of course he's powerful. But, but that, that verse comes out of Isaiah 54. And actually God, right before he says no weapon formed against you shall stand, he tells us why that can't happen. So he says, sorry, my water bottle's really loud. It's weird. He says in Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you shall stand. In the verse before, he tells you why. He says, see, it's, it's me, it's God, it's I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And he says in the next verse, so no weapon formed against you will stand. He says, are you afraid of the sword coming against you? Are you afraid of the arrow coming against you? You know who's mighty? I, you know what I did? I, I made the guy who made that sword. I made the guy who made that arrow. And so, no weapon formed against you shall stand because I'm bigger than all of it. And, and what it says after, right after that, it says, no weapon forged, forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. You're, you're going to push back, you're going to turn back every tongue that accuses you because do you know there's threats in our lives that don't just come from the physical world, don't just come from people around us, but come from the spiritual world. Jesus says there's an enemy to this life. There's an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy. And you know what the scripture calls him some other places? The accuser of the brethren. In Revelation, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of us who follow God, who follow Jesus Christ. And so when you find lies coming into your mind about who you are that contradict the truth of what God says who you are, that's the enemy coming against you. And, and God says, that will not prevail. That weapon too, those lies, aren't going to prevail against your life because I made the enemy who comes against your souls. Now, now I gave him freedom, and he rebelled against me. He threw off my role. He threw off my reign, but he can only go as far as I let him go. He can come this far into your life and, set, and, and I set a boundary on him and no further. And that's why any temptation, for God, God does not allow temptation to go further than, than we can withstand by his grace because he sets a boundary on what comes into our lives and says it can come this far and no further. And so God is bigger than any threat that comes against us. And, and you say, that's great, but what about, that's great for today, but what about tomorrow, Right? I mean, I mean, what about tomorrow? What about that dark? What about the unknown? And, and I want to take us back just to day one real quick and, and just ask this question, because I didn't get this for a long, long time. I, actually, until I was preparing for this message, what is God creating on day one? On day one, it says, God, God said, let there be light. And I, and I imagine like photons and, and, and wavelengths of light and the whole spectrum of UV light and this. That's, that's what he's creating on day one. But as I studied this, more people smarter than me identified that, no, it says in verse 5 what God created on day 1. It says God called the light day. He didn't call the light light. He called the light day. Why is that? 
And, and God called the darkness, he didn't call it darkness, he called it night. Because what God's creating here is not some physical thing, not photons, not waves of light. He's creating periods of time for that light and darkness to exist in. Day and night, God is the author of time. Do you understand? God is the author of all of this. And in this moment, he's putting the book together. He's putting every page of the book together and he's binding it together because he's outside the book. That's why he's the author and holds the pen. He's outside the book. He's putting the whole book together and he knows every page. Every single page. This is what Psalm 139 says. Your eyes saw my unformed body All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you see? Do you see, Grace family? Every single day, today, where you didn't know, you never thought you would be where you're at, today, where you didn't know the life could be this great, tomorrow, where you have no idea what's coming, every single day, God already ordained. The pages are already there. He's authoring it all. And so we have no need to fear what's coming because he knows and he's bigger than all of it. We need to, see, this gives us hope. This gives us hope. When God is bigger than anything we're afraid of, even tomorrow, this can give us hope. So how do we, can you get a vision this morning that God is bigger? God is big. How do we do that? Well, we already already talked about community this morning. You get into community and you hear other people tell their stories and you start to understand, oh, God's bigger than this mess I'm in because he's bigger than that mess that they're in. So get in community. You know where else you're going to go? Get outdoors. Get outside. I know nobody wants to, right? Nobody wants to. That's why so many people are probably watching online at home because we don't want to get outside. Yeah, no, I understand. But we need to get outside because we live our lives in, in these boxes that, call, that we call houses and they, they contain everything that, that stresses us out and everything that we try to control. And then we move from those boxes to other little boxes called cars and we ride through those and then we move from those boxes to other little boxes that are buildings that we work in or buildings that we go to school in or, or buildings that we have coffee in and then we go back into our the little boxes and we live life in these boxes and we forget how big our God is and we need to get out of the box. So I don't care how cold it is, get out of the box, get outside, and look up at the sky. And just sit there and just take it in that God is bigger than all of us, and the birds are still flying and the clouds are still moving, and look how big this is. You know, I used to go outside sometimes, and I used to look down and think about other things that was going on and look down and get to my car and look in, and I would stay stressed, and I wondered why I was staying stressed. And God said, look up. And now I look up, and there's times I just sit outside and I look up, and that verse comes to mind that the, the earth, that the heaven is God's throne and earth is his footstool. And I just imagine in my mind's eye, God big enough that, that this earth, this entire earth that I'm a little speck on, is just a footstool for him. And that's how much bigger he is than anything that's going on in my life, than anything that I'm afraid of, and than anything that will go on tomorrow. Do you know God is bigger? Man, get with his people. Get outdoors and learn. God's bigger than anything we're afraid of. So God brings plot in order to the story. Do you see in in, in days one through three, the problem at the beginning was the earth was formless. And so God brings structure to it. He, He separates things out. 
like time and sky and, and, and seas and land. And he separ- he's putting an order to things. But then he just doesn't stop there. He fills the emptiness. That's what he does for the next three days. He fills the emptiness. And, and, and let's watch him start doing that. Genesis 1, verse 14. I'm going to sit for my really loud water bottle again. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. See, he created time and now he's filling time and putting these stars and moons and everything over it that we can evaluate time by. And and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. And then God made two great lights. And you know what he's going to make. He's going to make the sun and the moon, but it doesn't say sun and moon. Here's what it says. He's going to make two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And you wonder, well, why why does it say greater light and lesser light? Why doesn't it just say sun and moon? We know it's the sun and moon. Everybody knows what he's talking about. And, And here's what some people think. I think it's a pretty good theory. The, the, the word for sun and the word for moon in, in, in the original language sound very similar to the Egyptian word for sun and moon, and that was the names of their gods. And so for other cultures, when you go into the other stories, sun and moon weren't just sun up in the sky and moon up in the sky at night. They were other gods. See, they were alternatives. <laughs> that, that's what the other, these other cultures had. They had all these rival gods and maybe one wins out, but then you never know what, when another one's going to creep up and be more powerful. You also have all these other gods, so you've got options. Isn't it good to have options? You go to a buffet and you've got options. If you don't like one thing, you can go get another one, right? You can go get something else. You can skip the veggies. I used to go to the buffet at Haas's, right? You ever, anybody remember Haas's? I used to go to Haas's growing up, and I always went for the nacho cheese. My parents never stopped me. I don't know why, but I put nacho cheese on everything at Haas's. Get my steak and put nacho cheese on it, get some chips. I didn't try the salad, but I might have. We like buffets. We like options, right? We like alternatives. And, and so did the, all the other cultures around Israel. As a matter of fact, so did Israel. They like options. Be, because if, if, if that's fine, this God is powerful, but for some reason, sometimes he's, he's not always doing what we want him to do. And, and so if he's not doing what I'm, we want him to do, well, maybe I can just turn to another, another option. If I'm not getting what I want from this God, I can just go over to this God. And Israel started doing this time and time and time again. When life wasn't working out the way they thought it was, they, they would just go to another option. And, and here's, the, uh, here's the lie that, that we believe. We think God's holding out on us. And, and, and here's what we see. When God isn't delivering on, on what we think he should in our lives, what God hasn't given us, This is what we believe. What God hasn't given us is bigger than what he has given us. And when what he hasn't given us seems bigger than what he has given us, we start looking elsewhere. Well, God, if you're not going to do this, maybe I'll go somewhere else. You know, we're reading this devotional together. And Paul David Tripp, uh, this was back from January 6th. And he he talks about this. He talks about if we don't want to get what we want from God, we look elsewhere, and that's what sin causes us to do. He says this, sin causes us to look horizontally for what can only ever be found vertically. So we look to creation, this creation that God made, the sun, moon, all the stuff that we have in our lives. We look to creation for life and hope, peace, rest, contentment, identity, meaning, and purpose, inner peace, and motivation to continue. 
We look to creation for all of that. The problem is that nothing in creation, he says, can give you these things. Creation was never designed to satisfy your heart. Creation was designed, it was made to be one big finger pointing to the one who alone has the ability to satisfy your heart. Many people will get up today and in some way will ask creation to be their savior. That is to give them what only God is able to give. So what are you asking? More importantly, who are you asking? Are you asking God to give only what he can give? Are you running to an alternative that, that can never give it? Because this is what Genesis goes on to say. The truth is not that what God hasn't given is bigger than what he has. The truth is that God gives abundantly to us and meets every single need. And that's why as we go through the next days, God, God moves in abundance. He, he's like over the top the next few days. You know what he does? He takes the seas that he created and he fills them to the brim with fish and sea creatures. And he takes the sky that he set up there and he fills it with birds and he takes the land that he created and he fills it with beasts and over the top, you look around us and uh, like something like 8 million species of animals. God goes over the top in abundance because that's what he does. He's an abundant God and an abundant giver. And then, then he creates mankind, men and women, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But down in verse 29, then, then listen to what he says to all of creation. After he made it, he says to mankind after he made them. It says in verse 29, and God said, see, I have given you. And then he points back to what he made on day three. All the way back in day three, he, he says, every herb that yields seed on the face of the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And then God sa saw everything that he had made, and indeed, this time it's very good. Because it's just as he pictured it, and it's all provided for. See, our God is not just abundant in what he does. He gives and meets every need. And so he says to his creation, do you see? I made this ready for you. I knew you were coming. I knew you were going to be here, right here, right now. And so long before you came, days before you came, I already met every single one of your needs before it was even a need. This is why Jesus tells us to look at creation, right? Jesus tells us to look at the birds of the air. He says, go out, look at them. You're worried about your life? You're worried about what you're going to eat? Are they having any trouble? He says, you're more important than them. So don't worry. Look, look, at, look at the lilies of the field. Their threads looking okay right now? Yeah. Their threads are looking pretty good. So, so why are you worried about what you're going to wear? He says, your, your father in heaven, take, he knows what you have need of before you even ask. You're praying in prayers today that you didn't know you were going to pray. He knew. He's outside the book. He knows what you need, and he's a good provider. And it tells us right from page one, it tells us this is who our God is, so we don't need to worry. And so when we start telling ourselves this story that what God hasn't given is bigger than what he has given, we, we just need to hear this invitation this morning and, and hear what he says to us. He says, look around. He says, see, I have given you. God says to you right now, do you see? 
I've given you. Because your eyes, for a while now, if your eyes are anything like my eyes, your eyes tend to focus on what you don't have and what you think you need and what you desperately want. And it's not that you don't need or want those things. It's just that God already knows and he's the author of right now. And our eyes focus so much and so heavily on what God hasn't given. And that seems so big that we fail to see the thousand and million things that he already has. And we look at the one promise and say, God, I haven't seen you fulfill that yet in my life. And we forget the thousand that he already has. And see, this is Adam and Eve's problem, right? One day, they, they, they went along and they saw all the ways God provided. But one day, that, that what he hadn't provided got bigger than what he had. And that's why they grabbed the pen and tried to write their own story. And that's what we do, too. And, and we think what he hasn't provided is bigger, and it's not. So do you see what God has given you today? I used to think I did. I've, I've done gratitude lists. I've done blessing lists and everything. And you kind of put three things a day right, and you put a thousand gifts. Those are good things. Those are really good things. I've, God has used those in my life. And I used to think I was grateful for those things, but... But then the beginning of this year, my, my wife and I started this prayer app, and it has a prayer at the beginning and the end of each day. And so we've been listening to this together. And what caught my attention is they repeat phrases sometimes again and again. And the, the, the prayer at the end of the day, listen to this, the prayer at the end of the day, it says, one of the things it says, it uses a lot of the same words again and again, but every single, every single day, it doesn't skip a day, every single day it uses these same words. It says, reflecting on the day that has passed, Lord, show me where you were at work in my life. In what ways did I experience your goodness? And when did I hear you speak? And see, when I used to make those gratitude lists, what struck me about that is when I used to make those gratitude lists, I'd think back, okay, what was yesterday and the day before and the day before that? The days provided food and list a few off things. But did you hear in the question, there's no option there. There's no question. He's given gifts today. The question is, do I see them? And, and sometimes we're so blind, and we, listen, we don't have the power to take the blinders off. That's why it's a prayer. It's a prayer. Lord, show me. You've already been speaking. I know that because I know who you are. You've already prepared good things and gifts in my life. I know that because I know that's who you are. But I don't see it. Lord, show me. Pull the scales off my eyes. Show me where you were at work in my life. Show me when I heard you speak. See, God gives and we don't see. So here's the question. Do you see? Do you see what he's given and then, you know, we can, we can address these two lies, but then there's another one that creeps in. And, and it's maybe one of the most significant of all. And it, it, it's this. We think that God is distant and God doesn't care. Because, sure, he's bigger than what I'm afraid of. That's great. He's powerful. He's eternal. Okay? And, and then we think, sure, okay, what he's given, he's given us a lot. He's given us a lot yesterday. He's given us some today. But, but right now, when I don't see it, when it's hard to see, when I need to pray to even see the good gifts he's given me today, this lie starts to creep in that, well, well maybe he could do something and he's not. And maybe he just wants to give everything but this one thing in my life. And we think God must be far away and God doesn't care. And that was what the other cultures 
told in the stories about their God. Their gods, when it, when it got to humankind, you know why it says humankind, mankind was created? Men and women. You know what happened in their stories is, is, is that there were these greater gods that were in control and there were these lesser gods that were doing some work for them because their gods needed stuff. You notice our God doesn't. <laughs> Which God do you want to trust? The one that needs something or the one that doesn't? And, and the lesser gods, they went on strike. <laughs> they were tired of working the earth. They were tri- tired of delivering on the needs of the bigger gods. And so the lesser gods went on strike and said, we're not going to do any more work. And the bigger gods scratch their heads and they wonder what they're going to do about it. And they say, okay, we'll make somebody else to do the work. And so they made men and women to dig ditches and to be slaves and to do all the grunt work that none of the gods wanted to do. And so men and women were made in their stories just to be slaves. They were nothing because the gods are distant and because the gods don't care. And, and here comes Moses in Genesis. And he writes a story that's so much different. He says, you think you're nothing? You think God doesn't care? I've, I've got news for you. Look at this. Then God said, let us make man. Not to be slaves, not to be nothing. In our image. In our image. Like, like he's made some amazing stuff. He made, made a whole variety of things to fill the earth. This is the one thing, the one creation of his that's made like him in his image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, men and women weren't made to be less. They were made to be more. More than anything else that God created. Just a little lower than the angels, angels crowned with glory and honor. They're the pinnacle of his creation, made in his image, and, and, and get this to partner with God. So God rules the earth and he's inviting us, inviting mankind to partner with him in that, to work alongside with him and, and to be in personal relationship with him. Because he's not distant. He's not far away. And he, and he does care. He, he loves us. He invites us into personal relationship with him because that's where this whole thing is headed. Look where it's headed. It's headed to day seven. The first days, six days, they all lead up to this. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had, done, had created and made. And so we read this, and we read that he rested. And we think, well, that, got, that means God got up on his heavenly lazy boy, cracked open a beer, and took a breather. And that's not what it's saying. Creation didn't wear God out. He didn't break a sweat. It was no challenge for him. Not, not a bit. He enjoyed it, actually. He keeps looking at it and saying, oh, man, that's good. <laughs> he just keeps looking on what he made and said, oh, that's good. He, he's enjoying the creation he made. And it gets to this place, and it says he rested. And the idea isn't here that he stopped, and he 
got back up on the throne in heaven and far away from us. The idea here that, that Moses is communicated and, and rested is that now that he's done with the work, he's going to take his seat at the helm. Like, like he's built the ship, and now he's going to take the, the, the helm of the ship, and he's in full control. He didn't leave us behind and not be in control. He's, he's right here because as you go and read on, that's why he, he walks with man and woman in the garden. Because the whole point of creation is to make us, to make his creation, and then to dwell with them. And that's the idea that the author is here. God's not distant. He loves you. He cares about you. And you've heard it before, right? So we kind of shrug. Yeah, God loves us. I can tell you I love my wife. Shrug. I mean, I love my, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, right? Guys, are you ready? It's Valentine's Day tomorrow. And, and I can tell you, I, I love my wife. And, and he asked how we got together, how we <laughs> hooked up, and how, how we got married. And I, I say, well, you know, like we met and <laughs> kind of liked each other and seemed to work out, so we got married. And I love her. Do you believe anything I'm saying? Nope. Not really. Neither does she, if I go about it that way. Note to self, don't write my card like that. Oh, now, but, it, but if I tell you, well, you want to know how we met? We, well, we met going, going to this, this, hanging out in the same group of friends at this church. And, and then we started to get a little interested in each other. Maybe it wasn't, wasn't quite sure if we were interested in each other or not. And, and, and then she got tickets for a movie for like nine of us to go to this, this movie. And, and so we went to this movie and, and eight other people canceled. Everybody canceled but me. And I go anyway, because I think she's kind of cool. And so we go in to watch the movie, and it's a romantic comedy called Just Friends. No kidding. And we watch the movie, and we come on out, and then we end up talking for another hour or two. And I actually got up the guts to ask her number that night. And then I called her, and then we went for our first date. We went for a hike, because that's a nice low, like, low commitment date. Like, you can always, <laughs> she can run, right? <laughs> or I can run. <laughs> but we go on this hike, and thought it might be an hour or two hike. It was like a four-hour hike. And neither of us were tired of each other. So we went, on, uh, went out to dinner and added like three more hours for what was possibly the longest first date ever. But it didn't feel like it. It felt like five minutes. Couldn't get enough of being together. And I, and I could go on and on and tell you about cards I wrote her and dates we went on. And, 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 and through the next 10 months, the late night calls, the emails during my lunch break when I didn't even have time to eat lunch, and, and then 10 months later, flash forward, I won't bore you with the whole thing, but flash forward, 10 months later, I invite her over to the house I'm living in, and I've spread throughout the house Gerber daisies, because that's her favorite flower. And so there's like eight or nine Gerber daisies spread throughout the house, and each one has a note about where to find the next Gerber daisy. And on each note, it talks about not just the clue where to find the next flower, but who she is to me, a role she is in my life. And she gets to the last flower, and and. and there's not an explanation on that one. There's just a question. Will you, will you play one more role in my life? And then I'm down on my knee, right? And everybody goes, oh. Because now you know that I love her, right? Because you don't want to just hear that I love her. You want to know that I pursued her. That's, that's what we need to see. If we're going to experience love, that's what we need to see. We need to see the pursuit. And so I, I just want to tell you today, it's not just that God loves you. God is passionately pursuing you. Do you know this? 
Do you know that God is passionately pursuing you? Do you know that's what this story is? That's what his story is. He, he's the author, and he's the main character, and that means he controls everything in the story. And do you know the plot? He could write any plot he wanted, and you know what plot he wrote? He wrote a plot of how he loves us and pursues us all the time, in every way, pursues us. And, and, and that's why he invited Adam and Eve in relationship to him. And when they got to that day where, where what they didn't have looked bigger than what they did have, and they decided to pick up the pen and write their own story, and it was a lousy story. And we've all done the same thing. And God chased after them anyway. He went after them anyway. And he keeps going after them. And their descendants are in slavery, and he rescues them out and brings them out into freedom. And their descendants don't know what to do, and he leads them. And he gives them a law to show them how good he is and to show them how to live in this relationship they're made for. And they just keep breaking it no matter what. They say they're going to do it, and they don't do it. They keep running another way, and he keeps chasing after them anyway. And he says, sends prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them again and again, do you know that I love you? Do you know I'm the only one that can satisfy you? And they keep following for a little while, and then they keep running away. And they keep doing horrific things in a life that God didn't intend for them. And he keeps chasing after them until one day he finally says, okay, here's, here's my son. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to chase him this much. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us because that was the idea all along. That God would dwell among us and he pursued them. He pursued you. He pursued me through his son. He pursued us to the death. So that all this rebellion and all this sin that we've piled up in our lives that weighs so much and is so heavy and so dark, he, he pursues us to take it away. He initiates all that. We didn't have to do anything. We couldn't do anything to earn all that. He's the initiator. He's the active party. And you know what we're invited to do? We're invited to respond. Every single day we're invited to respond. We're invited to respond and Say, yes, Lord, I, I, I was a mess. Yes, Lord, I, I, I need you. Yes, Lord, there's no other way I could be in the relationship I'm created for except that you would chase after me. That you would reach down to me, dead in a ditch, and bring me. I couldn't do anything. But you could, and you did. And you took away all the debt. And you took away all the shame, and you took away all the so that so that if we would just if I would just respond to him, if I would just respond, I might have life. God loves you, and He's passionately pursuing you, and so will you respond? Will you respond? I, I, I don't know how. Today, the word has, has hit you today, and I, I just want to invite us to a moment of response and a, a moment to consider. You know, there's these three lies that I put out there. And if you're anything like me, one, maybe two, maybe all three of those lies hit where you're living today or maybe sometimes where you're prone to wander into those lies. And, and the question for us today is how will we respond? Are, are we ready to surrender that lie to him? To admit, no, that's, that's not a truth, God. That's not who you say you are. That's not who you actually are. Oh, I remember who you are. 
Thank you for pursuing me, Lord. And and thank you for inviting me. And I'm going to respond to you today. And so I just want to invite us to a simple response. I'm going to go through the lies that we went through. And, And I just want to invite us to, if that's you today, if this was a lie that you're walking in today or a lie you've walked in recently and you want to surrender this lie back to him, I just invite you to stand when I go over that lie. I just want to stand in in, in place. And I know that's kind of scary to stand up because what if nobody else stands up? Can I tell you something? I'm already standing. Do you know why those lies came to me as I read this scripture? Because I'm really, really familiar with those lies. And I'm already standing for all three. And, and the question is, are we ready to surrender that and admit that what we see is not the whole story, but he's writing a, a bigger story? And, and surrender to him that he is better than we could possibly imagine, that he loves us more than we ever deserved, and that he's given us far more than we ever thought. And so in daily surrender today, we just have the opportunity in this way this morning to respond. Because sometimes we think God is distant and God doesn't care. And I I would just invite you this morning, if you've been in that place recently, I I just invite you, if you've been believing that lie that God is distant in this situation, that he doesn't care about me, I just invite you to stand right where you are as a way of saying, Lord, I, I, I surrender this lie again today. I I do believe that you love me and I believe that you are pursuing me right now. Even if I can't see it, you're pursuing me right now. And then sometimes we believe that what God hasn't given us is bigger than what he has given us. And we we want something so much, we need something so much, and the thing that takes up our vision, the thing that takes uh, up the, the, the view of our lives and the intentions of our hearts is the thing that he hasn't given us and has become bigger than all the things that he has given us. Listen, he's given us his very son. And so if you would surrender this lie today, I just invite you to fear your feet. God, you are bigger and you are more, you are better. And you are more generous than we could possibly imagine. And we know this, God, that that you are good and that you have given us good things. And if what you've been looking at in your life right now is what you're afraid of, the thing you were afraid of ever happening, maybe it actually happened. The thing you're afraid of happening but hasn't happened yet, but it might be around the corner, maybe that's what you're afraid of. And, And that's become bigger than the God who's actually in control of your life than the God who's actually in control of everything, than the author and the main character of the story. And if, if that's you, I'd just invite you to stand. Stand as a, as a way of saying, I, I've been afraid, Lord, and this, is, this has been in my view, and I don't want it to dominate my view any longer because the thing that should dominate my view is you, Lord. Because this life is all about you, and because you are bigger and more glorious than anything else I could look to, And I'm choosing today, I'm fixing my eyes right now. Uh, By your grace, I'm fixing my eyes back on you. Lord, we just come before you now as a people, admitting our need. Our desperate need for you every day. And, And God, my heart, our hearts are prone to wander. 
And we're prone to look at other things in our lives and believe lies about who you are. We think you're not in control or we think you're far away and don't love us. Or we think you're holding out on us, that one thing. And how could you possibly be good if you're holding that out on that? And God, we just invite you today to erase those lies from our memories. Any lie that's taken up root in our minds, tear down that stronghold. And God, lead us in your truth today. Remind us of who you are, that even right now, even showing up this morning, right here, right now, is a means that you are pursuing us. God, the fact that you, that you thousands of years ago, inspired this word to be written, you're, you're communicating to us, your, your desire is for us to respond and listen to you because that's where we find life, and so we choose to find life today in you. For God, you are bigger than everything else in our lives. God, over all of it, you're in charge. You haven't left. Over all of it, you're sovereign and powerful. Over all of it, you reign. And we confess that right now today. Family of Grace, if some of you need prayer in this moment or would like to pray with someone, I and myself and, and others will be up here for that. I, I invite the rest of you to stand to your feet, though, as, as we worship him together and declare that he reigns over everything in our lives. Would you worship together this morning? We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.